Hi, I'm Justin Duell, and this is the Branching Out Podcast from Campbellsville Christian Church. This is a place for connecting the words of Scripture to our hearts, minds, hands, and feet, so we can better abide in Jesus, the one true vine. The result? Deeper roots that produce good fruit in every season of life. Welcome to episode four of the Branching Out podcast. We've been going through the book of Genesis and talking about how the story of the Bible begins. So in this episode, we are in Genesis chapter four. So in chapter four, Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and they go on to have two sons, Cain and Abel. And so chapter four focuses on just one particular story involving Cain and Abel, each bringing a sacrifice to God. The Bible in Genesis chapter 4 reads this way. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. The gist of the story is that Abel brings the best of what he has. That's why the story says he brings fat portions and some of the firstborn. So Abel brings his best to God and his first. Meanwhile, Cain just brings ordinary fruit from his harvest instead of his best. Each type of offering reveals the heart condition of the two sons. Abel is worshipful, but Cain is going through the motions and perhaps even disinterested. You know, this is not a story um, comparing that, you know, Abel was a shepherd and Cain was a farmer. It's simply looking at what they brought from what they had. And Abel brings the best of what he's got, but Cain doesn't bring the best of what he has. So God steps in and warns Cain because he sees Cain is angry. Cain is in danger of reacting based on his emotions. So God tells Cain that if he does what is right, he has nothing to be worried about. In other words, God is warning and encouraging Cain. God is not picking favorites. It's not like God prefers steak, or in this case, case, lamb chops, over a fruit salad. Cain knows what he should do. And as long as he does that, he's fine. He's good. God says in verse 7 to Cain, But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And I want to hone in on this verse. Because after this verse, Cain goes on to kill his brother Abel. In fact, the very next thing we read is, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and killed him. So that sounds like Cain planned this out. The Bible says Cain is angry, but God challenges Cain's emotions. God tries to redirect Cain's reaction to, instead of taking it out on his brother, to instead just obey. And so we now know the context of verse 7. Before verse 7, Cain is upset because of God's response to his sacrifice, And becomes angry. And then after that, after verse 7, 
Cain decides to kill his brother Abel. So what we have in the middle is this warning. We have this warning from God to Cain to try to stop him from making this horrible mistake. And verse 7 teaches us five lessons about sin. So I just want to go through verse 7 phrase by phrase and look at each lesson that we can learn about sin to actually help us fight against sin. So first, the phrase begins, if you do not do what is right, which that implies if you do what is right, you're good. You won't have to worry about sin, or at least sin won't be as ready to get you. So the easiest defense against sin is to do what is right. Of course, that is so much easier said than done. But it's still worth stating that simple fact. If you just focus on doing the right thing, it's much harder to sin. So focus on doing what is right. Second, the next phrase is, sin is crouching. Crouching is this image of of like a lion or a wild animal ready to pounce. Something is ready to strike. You know, and God uses language to sort of almost like, you know, kind of personify sin, which helps us understand sin is not just this passive thing. No, sin is actually out to get you. There's a plan. There's a force at work to attack you. And at this point in the book of Genesis, what we've learned so far about sin is from Adam and Eve. And we learn that they were deceived by Satan. In Genesis 4, there isn't any mention of Satan deceiving Cain. So what's terrifying about Genesis 3 and 4 is it only takes one chapter and one generation in the Bible to go from sinning because of humans being deceived to humans choosing to sin. No one deceives Cain. Nobody tries to tell Cain and feed him this idea of killing his brother. He picks this path on his own. So because sin is crouching, we need to be prepared. We need to know that that sin really has a plan of attack and is waiting for the right moment. Third, it's not just that sin is crouching. It's that sin is crouching at your door. This communicates that sin is in a very close proximity to you. Even the image of your house, the place where you rest and relax and have friends and family over and make memories. Sin is not in some far off place where it can't hurt you and it's never going to bother you. Sin is at your front door, observing and looking for the best moment to strike you. Imagine for a minute, if there was something dangerous on the front door of your house, what would you do? My guess would be, you would do something. Like, you would not sit there and do absolutely nothing. You would do something. You would call somebody, you would get help, you would deal with the situation. A few months ago, here in, here in Campbellsville, um, there was actually a loose bear roaming around the city, which is unusual. We don't normally have bears in, uh, in central Kentucky, but we had a bear for a little while. And the city and the local university put out, you know, warnings and safety guidelines for people. Residents were instructed, you know, hey, don't approach the bear. Don't try to feed the bear. Uh, pay attention to your surroundings in case, in case the bear is nearby. You know, be mindful of letting um, pets out into your yard in case the bear comes up. Now, some of these rules, if you, you know, if you live in the mountains or if you've gone to the mountains to hike or stay in a cabin for a while, these are some of the rules that you just have to have in the mountains because there are bears. Bears are a reality. But when you live in central Kentucky and you typically don't have bears, 
You're not thinking about how to protect yourself from a bear. And that's the same way with sin. Sin is not in some distant place where we only have to occasionally worry about sin and have guidelines or practices to defend ourselves from sin. Sin is right here at home because sin is at your door. So the result is we have to be aware. I find the acronym HALT is really helpful when it comes to this. HALT stands for hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And those are times when we are the most susceptible to sin. So a lot of times when we are tempted, what we really need to do is you just need to get a, get a quick snack or you need to count to 10 or you need to go hang out with a good friend or you just need to take a nap, right? Sometimes the best defense against temptation is, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to get a nap. I'm going to grab a bite to eat. It's just doing something like that because that might actually cut off the temptation. Fourth in this verse is the phrase, it desires to have you. You maybe didn't really think about sin having a desire, but sin desires to have you. And so that just means sin is going to continue in a way to pursue you. I mean, think about this like, oh, I don't know if you had this experience maybe in high school or college or or whatever, where maybe there was somebody who was really interested in you, but you were absolutely not interested in them. And maybe they continued to, you know, they tried to hang out with you and sit by you. And maybe they, they tried to get your phone number and text you or send you DMs. And you just continue to politely say, hey, no, thanks. Sorry, I'm not interested. But maybe that person, they just kept trying. Like they just couldn't take a hint. And sometimes sin is like that person. Sin doesn't take a hint. Sin is not going to go away and leave you alone. It's going to keep trying. It will be relentless. So you have to desire to not sin and keep up that fight. You know, Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And here's the key, verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. So what's really helpful for us to fight against sin is to not desire it. And what can help us not desire it is to focus on doing good things. Focus on using your time, your energy, your talents. Use your body to serve God. Again, it goes back to the beginning of the verse. If you do what is right, you have nothing to worry about. And sometimes that's the best defense, to not have a bunch of um, idle time or so much free time, but to keep yourself busy doing good things. And here's the fifth and final phrase of that verse, but you must rule over it. Rule is a common Hebrew word, typically for like a king or a nation to be in charge. In fact, it's the same word that is used just a chapter earlier in Genesis, where Adam is told after the fall, and that's important, after the fall, Adam is told he will rule over Eve. So again, that's, that's not necessarily part of the created order. That's part of sin. But the idea is still that, that for Cain, God is telling him, hey, you can be the master of sin. You don't need to allow sin to master you. And so we have to be very careful that we are not passive about sin. 
but we try to rule over sin. Don't let sin tell you what to do. You tell sin what to do. And a lot of times, you know, when, when we are tempted and we struggle, sometimes we can just think, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's not hurting anybody. Nobody knows about it, which those are all really lame excuses because sin is always at least damaging to you. And often it's damaging to others and you just can't see it yet. And it's especially damaging to our relationship with God. Because sin is not so much about getting in trouble with God and him being upset with us. It actually has a lot to do with us choosing death instead of life. Right? Like back up in Romans 6, Paul talks about this. He says, you've been brought from death to life. And when we choose sin, yes, we're rejecting God. Yes, in a way we're in trouble with God. But even more than that, we say, hey, I'd rather be dead than alive. That's really not a great trade. It would be way better to be alive than dead. And so we have to rule over sin. We have to take it pretty seriously and say, nope, I'm the, I'm the human here. I'm the one in charge. I mean, you might even think about, for example, your cell phone. You might feel like sometimes your cell phone is in charge of you because you just keep finding yourself picking it up and picking it up and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And maybe your phone's in charge of you. And so in the same way, you have to master your phone or you might have to master, um, you know, a diet or exercise or anything that takes discipline. We have to have the same about sin and rule over it. And so by studying the theology of sin in the Bible, we can understand sin so that we can understand how to fight sin and resist temptation.